0: Let us pray once again before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, I do praise you this morning for this time of worship. And just thank you, God, for loving us so much, for your gracious hand upon us each and every day. And even at this time, God, when we are approaching your word and this particular text in Genesis chapter 7, God, thank you for loving us in the truth. And Uh, We are grateful. We want to receive your word today with humble hearts, seeking to know and understand and grow thereby. We have tasted of your kindness and salvation, God, and we want to continue to glorify and honor you with our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please turn to the seventh chapter of Genesis in our wonderful Bibles today. And as you're doing that, uh, we all know that in a couple of days, uh, Halloween are, is being observed by many people, and uh, there's different perspectives there as far as... Should Christians take part at all? Some people say complete separation and it's completely of the devil and don't take any part in it whatsoever. And then others are saying it's, well, it's pretty harmless and it's just fun. And so you can kind of uh, do some things as long as they're not bad. Um, but we here at Faith Bible Church, we want to use it as an outreach. Uh, just in past years, there was always the fall festival here. So it was always a, a time for ministering the gospel and trying to reach out to the community. And uh, even before that time, um, before I was here at Faith Bible Church, uh, I I would fall in that hopefully biblical center, and we would take our our kids out dressed in very innocent costumes around the neighborhood, and uh, they would um, trick-or-treat and give gospel tracts to each of our neighbors uh, as they did that, asking them to be blessed, God bless you, and here's something for you. And so, um, in any case, uh, it can be a a scary time for some people, um, just with all the... Things that surround Halloween: scary costumes, uh, horror movies, haunted houses. Uh, there's Fright Fest at Six Flags, which you know happens every every year. Um, but we, once again, at Faith Bible Church, are wanting to use this as a uh, reaching out to those around us. And so, one of the gospel tracks that we're going to give out uh, has a riddle on it. It's from Living Waters, which is uh, Ray Comfort's great evangelistic ministry. And the Gospel tract asks, What is greater than God, worse than the devil? The dead eat it, and if the living eat it, they will die. The answer? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is greater than God. Nothing is worse than the devil. The dead eat nothing, and if the living eat it, they're going to die, right? So it's a good way to get into the the actual message. But um, I have another question. What is more terrifying than to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. What is more terrifying than that? And the answer is the same. Nothing is more scary or terrifying than to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. On the flip side of that, is there anything more assuring than the truth and promise of God to all who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing more assuring than Romans 8, verse 1, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more fear, no more worry, no more concern about where we're going to go, who we are with, where we are spiritually, because there's no more condemnation from God for those who have placed their faith in Jesus alone. So Scripture is clear. God's judgment and wrath is reserved for unrepentant sinners, Wicked, rebellious people who reject his love and grace. God has a holy indignation, okay, a righteous anger, which we talked about last Sunday. Righteous anger against them. And so it is truly terrifying, a truly terrifying thing for them to fall into the hands of the living God. And once again, this is not Old Testament versus New Testament. Okay? Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to thousands of people, Um, massive crowds whose number is so large that people are stepping over one another to get to him, to hear him teach and preach. He says to them, My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about God. In effect, he could be talking about himself because Jesus himself is the judge. Today's text in Genesis 7 brings us directly to the flood and to what I'm calling the ark of salvation. And Noah's ark is like a picture of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Hey, lest that word just kind of lose its meaning for you. A Savior is someone who saves, someone who rescues, and all sinners need to be rescued from their own sins. He is the only one who can do that. Rescue sinners from drowning in their sins for all of eternity. So I ask another heartfelt, sobering question this morning to follow up on last week's. Are you in or out of the ark of salvation? Are you in or out? Is Jesus your personal Savior and Lord? Is he real to you or not? There's no in-between. There's no in-between, no such thing. You're either safe in his gracious arms and kept by his powerful hand, or you are depending on the the strength of your own feeble efforts and works, and you're going to drown in the ocean of your own sins judged by God if you Do not receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. So where do you choose to be is the question. Where do you choose to be? Are you in or out? The sermon text is Genesis 7, verses 1 through 16. And I'm going to ask you to stand as I read, if you are able. If you're not, that's okay. Please be seated. Stay seated. But Genesis 7, verses 1 through 16 is our message for today. It reads, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, too, a male and his female, also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood, of clean animals and animals that are not clean, and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And the Lord closed it behind him. Please be seated. I didn't give you the points of the outline today because I just want you to just listen um, in some way. But I'll just give it to you now um, if you want to jot them down. The two points are very basic, but the first one is verses 1 through 9. True faith perseveres and obeys God to the end. True faith perseveres and obeys God to the end. Verses 1 through 9. And the second point is that God keeps his promises to destroy and to save. God keeps his promises to destroy and to save. Those are the last verses verses 10 through 16 so the first point true faith preserves or perseveres sorry perseveres did i say preserves before it's true faith perseveres okay and obeys god to the end add a couple more letters to that one um verse one the lord says to noah enter the ark you and all your household okay the clock is ticking the time is coming soon for the flood to arrive. Verse 4, God tells Noah, how many days? Seven more days, right? So this is one week before. 168 hours left until the whole world will be destroyed. Everyone killed. Okay, just try to picture it for a moment, right? Maybe some of you have seen video clips of like the five worst tsunamis in history. It's utterly terrifying uh, to see that those waves coming upon, you know, mostly island lands, right? Like like Indonesia or or Japan or or India, um, or elsewhere in the world. But um, recall that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, it was sovereign grace that saved Noah and his family. Absolutely amazing grace. This was God keeping His promise for the line of the seed to survive. It was the pure grace of God that permitted Noah and his family to escape judgment of the flood. And note again, God says to Noah, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. God looks upon man and he sees utter evil, continuous evil and corruption in and out of the hearts of man, Genesis 6 verse 5. But Noah believed in God and he found grace. As it was with Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness, credited, not earned, keep in mind that for a hundred plus years since God declared that he 's going to destroy man from the earth, Noah has been at it, okay, just continuing to trust God, believe in God, obeying these seemingly preposterous commands, okay, building this humongous vessel that with all that 's going on around him, right probably a whole bunch of mockery, scoffing, scorn rejection of his neighbors, family, even friends. think you could do that, persevere through a time like that, hundred years. On top of that, Noah's described in the the New Testament, 2 Peter 2, verse 5, as a preacher of righteousness. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what he was preaching, but that word preacher means herald, which is someone delivering a message. Very likely he was preaching of God's judgment to come, preaching of their evil ways and their evil hearts, telling them of what God sees in them and, and of their need to get right with God. Okay. Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And I find it interesting that it's Noah alone that God speaks to. Okay. It doesn't include his family members. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention his wife's faith. It doesn't even mention her name or his son's or his son's wife's faith. But in God's gracious promise to keep the line of the seed alive, he will rescue Noah's wife and three sons and their wives as well. Hey, God has mercy on the whole family. He blesses them with the rescue from physical death in the flood. They are to be the ones who repopulate the earth and continue the line of the promised seed. So God tells Noah, it's, it's almost time. Get your family ready. Get them in, all the animals, they'll be going with you. Whether it was more like 16,000 animals or 6,000 animals, it would take some time for all of them to enter. The clock is ticking, okay? 168 hours and counting. Verses 2 and 3 shows that God gives additional instructions to Noah, um, which animals to take into the ark. By this time, uh, there were some animals that were considered clean and some unclean. It doesn't give us any more information than that. But God commands Noah to take of the clean animals and birds by sevens. And the reason for bringing that extra number of clean animals and birds is to, he says, keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. But um, chapter 8, verse 20, which is after the flood, it tells us this, that some of these animal, clean animals were used for burnt offerings, for sacrifices that Noah offered to the Lord after the flood was over. Okay, So that was the purpose there, extra provisions to assure replenishing of the earth after and also for worship of the Lord um, to to continue on uh, after the flood. And so verse 4 says, seven days, the seven-day notice is given, and he says that rain, God, I'm going to send rain on the earth. Um, As I mentioned last week, It's debatable whether it had ever rained on the earth before the flood or not. I don't think anybody can say for certain Bible scholars and theologians kind of debate this back and forth. But it seems at least that Noah would have understood what God was talking about when he says, I'm going to send rain. So there's that. Whatever the case, it's going to be for 40 days and 40 nights. Certainly there's never been any kinds of rains like that for sure. It'll be rain so devastating so as to destroy every living thing that God has made. He says, blot out. Destroy, wipe out, clean out, erase, delete, whatever word you want to use. Every man, woman, and child and all the animals with them, God is going to blot them out from the face of the earth. And so that universal language comes at us again. The face of the land, every living thing that I have made, This is a worldwide flood. We're going to see more of that in detail next week, in in our passage next week. But continue on in verse 5, it says, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I refer you back to chapter 6, verse 22. Noah was a righteous man, blameless. He walked with God. All the way to the very end, through to the final week, Noah followed all of God's orders, every instruction, everything that he commanded. He did not waver. He took all those measurements for the ark. He went to work all those years. How long? How wide? How high? Just how many trees is that going to take to to build that thing? Noah did it. He got after it. That's what he got. How much pitch? How much tar? How many gallons of tar would it take to seal up a 450-foot long ark? Whatever it took, Noah got it together and he sealed that thing. Okay, 450 feet, by the way, one and a half football fields. Um, that's, that's a long way. Okay, 75 feet wide, that's, uh, that's one and a half times a, a football field's width as well. Um, how to construct those three floors, where to put the window, the door. Noah followed everything to a T. And people probably thought that he was out of his mind. And um, when you think about just, you know, even like 25 years ago, there was this odd cult, Heaven's Gate, some of you remember. And uh, they thought they were, because Haley's Comet was at a certain place, that um, they were going to go and be with the extraterrestrials out there. And so they committed this mass suicide, thinking that their bodies were going to transform into um, the heavenly, Heaven's Gate. And uh, that's that's pretty crazy, right? Um, it's not biblical. They tried to mix in things from the Bible. But uh, this was Noah back in those times, and God speaking directly to Noah, receiving true revelation of what was going to happen from a faithful, promise-keeping God. And so he was not out of his mind, but the people all around him, uh, just going about their daily lives, eating, drinking, working, marrying, also doing whatever their continuously evil hearts thought to do and intended to do. They're filling the earth with violence, Okay, it's safe to say all manner of wicked acts, abuse, sexual immorality, murder, violence, brutality, senseless killing, torture, true social injustice. Okay, you name it, it was probably happening all around the earth. And once again, I just kind of keep bringing up the, the example of Hamas and, and the atrocities that they've committed and they are committing. Just stories are coming out now of, of people who have witnessed things and, um, you know, if you've, you've heard them, it's, it's, it's as bad as parents being just uh, caused to be in front of their children on their knees and, you know, as ugly as this sounds, this is what uh, they're, they're doing, torturing their parents, cutting off, you know, fingers and, and limbs and uh, just doing all sorts of torture in front of five-year-old, ten-year-old children Just awful things before they get executed. And so um, perhaps this is the kind of thing that was going on uh, continually throughout the land during Noah's time. And so through this all, Noah faithfully obeyed God, trusting God's promise of the judgment to come. The next verses, verses 6 through 10, they seem to build up the tension. And, uh, they, it repeats things and it brings to us a general description that will lead to that specific day in verse 11 when the flood arrives. So verses, uh, verse 6 says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. Uh, recall again in chapter 5 verse 3 it says that Noah was 500 years old when he became the father of his three sons. So presumably 100 years or so had passed when God revealed to Noah that he's going to destroy the world with a flood uh, until this time now, when we're a week before, just days before. So this somewhat plain telling of such an earth-changing, catastrophic, cataclysmic event is expressed in more detail in verses uh, 11 and 17 and on. But in verses 6 through 10, it's almost like the author, God via Moses, is giving his readers, which includes us today, um, information by piecemeal, piece by piece, little by little, bit by bit. The tension is building, and the repetition of the instructions and the information about who is to go in, uh, it's not by accident. It's like a, a teaching device. Derek Kidner, the commentator, says, it emphasizes God's careful provision and the steady approach of the crisis to come. The reiterations are deliberate and highly effective, end quote. So this repeating again of who went to the ark, Noah and his family, okay, it just tells it over and over and over. Eight people, no more, no less. Okay? And um, it's only them. It's said again right here. And following the people were the clean and unclean animals, the birds, the creeping things, reiterating what God commanded Noah before, and that's what's happening right now. So Noah follows everything that God commanded. He persevered in faithful obedience to the end. Hebrews 11 verse 7 once again. It was by faith in God. His faith was proved by his works. As James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. Somebody else once said that faith is the trunk of salvation's tree whose root is grace and whose fruit is good works. I think that's a good way to think about it. So true faith perseveres and obeys God to the end. And I want to encourage you, Faith Bible Church Saints, um, there are some great examples in our church of those who are persevering and obeying and following and serving and continuing uh, on the straight path to follow Christ uh, through everything that's going on in the world and just in their personal lives. I'm so thankful for our faithful Faith Bible Church saints. True faith does persevere and obeys God all the way. And that was Noah, right? And he was, uh, as I said, a preacher of righteousness. And um, I'm sure he was warning all those around him throughout the years, the many, many years. And it's fair to assume that he continued that even to the last week before the flood. And I don't know if people were jeering at him while he was preaching or they were scoffing and rejecting him. Um, as the animals were being loaded up on board even in that last week just trying to picture just being there maybe they're starting to get a little worried maybe they're not paying any mind whatsoever maybe they're giving Noah a really really hard time or maybe they just think that Noah has really lost his mind okay? he's, he's built this ark and now they're all going in hey, the text doesn't tell us all of that what we do know for certain is that whatever Noah was proclaiming as a preacher of righteousness not a single person listened to him And besides his family, not one person, man, woman, or child, bothered to listen to what this man of God was saying. Not one soul took heed through the last hundred years down to this final week, final day. Nobody realized what danger they were in. Their hearts were hard, their ears dull. No one repented, no one was seeking after God. Maybe too busy, too busy with their sinful lives, their ungodly pursuits, their godless attractions, their living and working and playing. Noah preached the righteousness of God, the judgment to come. Nobody paid him any mind. It was like Jesus said, right? He said, in those days, Noah's days, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being married, carrying on their daily activities like it was a normal day, any other day. But then the floods came. Verse 10 through 16, God keeps his promises to destroy and to save. The text makes it clear that when God's judgment came, it came suddenly. It came suddenly. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. Just as God told Noah, the flood waters arrived. God's always true to his word, folks. He never breaks a promise. Verse 11 tells us specifically of the actual day of the flood. It marks it down to the calendar day. Did you notice that, verse 11? In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the flood dates of the sky were opened. See how exact the date is. Verse 6 told us generally that Noah was 600 years old, Right? But verse 11 here gets super specific. It's the 600th year of his life. It was the second month. It was the 17th day. Hey, there's certain dates in history that can never, ever be forgotten. Right? It's etched into our minds forever. It's like 9-11, right? September 11, 2001. Some of us remember exactly where we were when we heard the news of the towers going down. Right? Some of us remember what we were doing when the date of the flood happened, it was that same day, that very day, suddenly God's judgment came. All the fountains of the great deep burst open. The floodgates of the sky were open. The rain fell. It's not like someone noticed a little bit of water leaking out into their the floor of their huts, right? Or some puddle slowly forming through the Cracks on the ground, gradually more and more puddles here and there until people's homes start to get a little, you know, they're like ankle deep in, in water. No, it says all the fountains of the great deep burst open, like all at once. All the waters that are way beneath the earth's surf- surface, okay, subterranean waters that are way down there just explode, erupt like a, like a pipe, suddenly bursts after just too much pressure. Here, there, and everywhere, the ground is spewing out hot water, enormous geysers, earth's surface cracking and quaking, mountains erupting in volcanic activity, shifting and moving all at once, at least seemingly so. It says, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. It's like the, the windows of the heavens were open. There, there doesn't seem to be any indication that this happened gradually, like a, a few raindrops. Right? and then like we say back east it started spitting and then drizzle and then steady rain and then turning into hard pouring rain hey, it doesn't that's not the picture we see it just says the the windows of the heavens were open hey whether this was like the the proposed thick canopy of water that surrounded the earth's atmosphere as some theologians say and just all of a sudden it just like someone poked a hole in it and all burst open at the, the same time and fell down. It's like uh, in a football game, right? After the victory and the, the players come around, they Gatorade onto the coach like that. Or a sudden downpour of sheets of rain just falling abruptly all of a sudden, continuing unrelentingly for the next 40 days and 40 nights. Whichever one it was, it was nonstop. Deluge of water falling from the sky. Okay, the language is of a, a sudden downpour. And as I was reading between the lines, the white spaces, and just putting together just why all this was coming about in the first place and the wickedness that was widespread throughout the land and God's grieving, sad, and sorrowful heart, I pictured just sudden burst of, of heavenly tears falling upon the earth, upon sinful man, and God's holy, righteous anger just erupting from the bottoms of the earth and into into the surface in angry, explosive fountains of water. Just a picture, just a picture for you. And it says for 40 days and 40 nights, um, there was no break, no break uh, whatsoever. And God already told Noah this, right, Um, in verse 4. And maybe Noah spent some of that last week telling them, you know what, it's going to come, it's coming in seven days, it's not going to stop for a month and a half. Okay, 40 days, 40 nights. The rain was upon the earth, it says. Just started and kept coming. A month and a half straight, constant torrential rains and fountains from beneath. God kept his promise to destroy. Folks, the day arrived, and it came, and it came suddenly. Verse 13, on the very same day, on the very same day, and and it's referring back to that dreadful day in verse 11, that day of God's judgment, the start of the flood, that's when Noah and his family and all the animals as God commanded had all entered in. Hey, with those few people, along with all the animals, safely aboard the ark, God kept his promise to save. Right? He saved. The promise of the seed will survive. But then it says, at the last part of verse 16, and the Lord closed it behind him. Hey, Yahweh, Yahweh, covenant-keeping God, promise-keeping God, closed it behind him. And that verse hits us with a thud. He shuts the door. If anyone wanted to get into the ark at that point, it was too late. The door was shut. There was no other door. There was no other way in. It was too late for anyone to be saved. And so... This brings us to our grand conclusion. Um, Judgment came upon the whole world of sinners back in Noah's time. They all faced God's wrath and they died in a a violent expression of his holy anger and judgment, which they so richly deserved, each one of them. The wages of sin is death. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came to earth on a rescue mission, roughly 2,400 years after the flood and 2,000 years from where we are today to save sinners from deserved judgment. He died on a cross, gave himself as a substitute, he took the punishment that we should have received, and he offers eternal life to everyone who will believe in him. He rose from the grave so that sinful rebels could be forgiven and have the hope of new life with him forever. He came to save and rescue the first time. And he says he's coming to judge and condemn the second time. Revelation 19, verse 11 and on. Did you know that when Jesus described the events that will surround his second coming, he said, and I read some of this before, but just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, They were marrying, they were being given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus pointed out that although these people in Noah's day were in grave, grave sin, they were not the least bit concerned about it, at least not enough to ask to get in, not enough to believe. They were carrying on with the events of their lives without a single thought or concern about God's judgment. And so it's going to be like that when Jesus comes again. Nobody knows the hour. But once again, the question is, how about you this morning? Okay, you will live forever. Will you be living in or out of the ark of salvation? Are you going to be living with the loving Lord Jesus or in the eternal lake of fire? As I said before, there's no in-between can't have one foot in the ark and one foot out. Once the door shuts, it's over. It's too late. And so, likewise, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You're all in or you're all out. And I'll encourage you by saying that God is patient towards sinners. Um, He gives time to repent, but... I want to bring to your attention that his judgment is coming. We don't know when. Just as no one would have guessed in Noah's time that this great flood was going to come, rains were going to come and kill them all. Okay, not a single person believed before it was too late. You unbelievers cannot guess and cannot know the day of your death. Okay, that is your judgment day. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. One chance. There's no purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. And I say to those who are sitting on the fence this morning, maybe you profess to be a Christian, but your life is not bearing any fruit of true faith. James chapter 2 says that's not real faith. A faith without works is dead. In other words, no faith. Hebrews ten twenty six to 27 says this, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so if you've heard the gospel and are professing Christ, but you reject it, you actually reject it with your life, Hebrews 10 says, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And then verse 31 is where it says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Where will you be when you face God's judgment? I ask you: Safe in the bosom of Christ, or with those to whom He says, "Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." You who profess to believe in me and follow me, but actually you have no genuine faith, and your, your life shows it. That may be the only other more terrifying thing than seeing a, a tsunami literally coming at you from like a 100 feet away. thinking you're a Christian and saved, and then Jesus telling you that you're not, and you never were, and to get out of his sight. That is a truly terrifying thing. You don't want to be in that place. You don't want to hear those words from the Lord Jesus. The ark had only one door. Everyone had but one way. And so what does Jesus say? John 10, verse 9. He says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Dear people, this is the place of security, okay? ultimate safety and refuge and peace. This is with the Savior who protects from the coming judgment. And once you're in, Colossians 3, verse 3, it says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, that's the place of sufficiency. Right? Christ is all. And he's in all to those who believe. I invite you, I plead with you to come to Christ, come to Christ who is our ark of salvation while the door is still open. God is long-suffering, as I said. He tolerates sin for a while, but then his wrath is poured out and nothing you do or say can stop it. Only one family escaped his wrath. That was by the pure grace of God and this is the offer this morning, to receive His grace, grace that can only be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. The door to salvation will shut one day, suddenly, but it's still open now as long as you have breath. Which side are you going to be on when the door closes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, truly You are Patient, you're full of loving kindness, you're holy, and yet you're compassionate. God, we appreciate all of those things about you. We admire them. We magnify and glorify you for who you are. And I thank you for giving us this word of urgent warning, God, to those who are here, who perhaps are are, are outside of salvation, outside of Christ. Lord, I pray that no one would be deluded, no one would be fooled, God, but would truly come to faith in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life through repentance and faith in him alone. I pray that for anyone listening online as well, God. And I thank you for those among us who are saved and who are fighting the good fight and continue on, God, even into their later seasons of life, into elderly age. Thank you for their great example. Thank you for their encouragement. Thank you for allowing us to to observe and witness and to live together in Christ and to spur one another on uh, to good works. And God, all of this, once again, is by your grace and for your glory alone. So we lift these things up to you, God, loving one another in the love of Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.